0: Hello church, my name is Michael, and we'll now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 through 10 and Genesis chapter 11 verse 3 and 4. Please follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This is the reading of God's Word.
1: All right, well, good morning, uh, True North. My name is Eugene. I'm a member uh, of our pastoral staff here. Uh, if I sound congested, I'm getting over COVID. I am negative, so, well, no one's here, so you guys are fine. Um, thank you for all those who uh, were able to provide families. Um, it was great, but I lost my sense of taste like three days ago, so I see all this good food, and my wife enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, again, uh, just to remind you if you are new, uh, we do have sermon discussion groups that continue. Uh, they're just a small, more intimate setting where you just kind of discuss the sermon right after worship. That'll be in classroom K 12. Right after worship, snacks and food are provided, so if you want to get a place to plug in, feel free to come out there. But we'll be continuing our series through uh, the book of Colossians um, with kind of the bend of using verses eight to 10 to really anchor ourselves and asking ourselves a question, as a church in the Silicon Valley in 2022, coming out of COVID, maybe entering into a recession, and all these factors, the question we wanna ask ourselves is, what are the empty philosophies, what are the thoughts, the invasive thoughts that hold our souls captive away from Christ. Now Jay uh, gave two great sermons on some thoughts that he had, but as I read these uh, verses, my question I ask myself is, what truly holds our church captive? What is the empty philosophies? What are the human traditions that really hold our souls captive in the Bay Area? Some might say culture, politics, whatever it may be, even with the tumultuous time that we're in now. But truly, I think the thing that holds us captive in this region is the philosophy and even religion of work. We're in the capital of work. Uh, We're in the capital of the work from home revolution. Uh, Much of what you do and what we do decide often how the world follows even in their own work as our tech companies get bigger and bigger. And I realize, and uh, if you're a part of our men's ministry seminar, some of this might sound similar a couple of weeks ago, but I've realized that the true thing that holds our souls captive is that we are chained to our vocations and to our careers. And not just to the particular calling that you're in, but the idea of work altogether. Samuel P. Huntington, he's a political scientist, he writes this about Americans, we work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less in unemployment, disability, retirement benefits, retire much later than people in other comparable societies and yet are still unhappier than all of them. There's something, not just about this region, but our country in this Western world that we live in that work holds us captive and now as we work from home, as the altar of work is no longer our desk, it is wherever a laptop can fit. It has held our schedules captive. You know, It's interesting, uh, one, one reporter noted after the work-from-home phenomenon that there's a bump in emails right after lunch, right before closing, and now at 10 p.m., and companies love this because it holds us captive. And one thing I've realized and, and what I call is, a lot of us, and I don't wanna assume all of us, but a lot of us in the Silicon Valley, the reason we're here is because we have quote unquote a white collar job. Now there is a curse that comes with a white collar job. I'm not trying to demean those that don't have that. You know, those with quote unquote blue collar jobs often work more hours with less pay. But one thing they never get confused with is that work is their identity. I've never met a blue-collar worker who says, oh, this is what I live to do, that I'm going to put overtime just for my own benefit because this is my calling. No, that, that's a curse that only follows the white collars that we work with. We exploit ourselves to exhaustion. You see, we might get more pay, but we lose our souls in the process. And the question I want all of us to be asking is, how can we find this correct notion of work in Christ as Paul commands us to do? That if these philosophies hold us captive as Paul tells us in Colossians, in the end he says, but not according to Christ, for in him is the whole fullness of deity that dwells bodily. How can we reframe and break free from this philosophy and even religion of workism that I call in the area? Well, the first thing that we have to do is understand what is work in a biblical framework and although there might be you know for a lot of us the idea of work holds is captive but one thing i also want to dispel an empty philosophy in the church is this false notion of sacred and secular work so often if you were raised in the church you deep down inside might believe unless i am reading the bible praying unless i'm at church that is not, it, unless I'm doing those things, whatever I'm doing is not spiritual. But I, what I first want us to understand is that the very nature of who we are, our work is spiritual. What you do in your quote unquote nine to five is spiritual. Genesis 1:26 is, is a verse that I hold very dear to my heart. It's the beginning of how we were created. And one thing it makes clear is, this is what our primary calling as human beings is. See, oftentimes in the church, <clears throat> many believe the primary calling of a Christian is to worship, is to know the Bible, is to pray, and those are important things, but that is not true. Genesis 1, 26, I believe it'll be up on the screen behind me. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Verse 27, so God said, let us make man in our uh, let, so, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. There's a huge emphasis in the beginning of us, human beings, being made in the image of God. And if you've been with uh, our church and if you've heard me speak, this is a concept that I find very important for us in the modern Western world. Because it grounds us and gives us an identity before we do anything. And I want you to remember that. Before you work, you are given an identity. You are made in the image of God. You are image bearers of God. What does that mean? What does that mean to be made in the image of God? A better way to translate the image of God in the Hebrew could be an idol. And not in the idolatrous way that you might think, but an idol meaning uh, if you went to Greece uh, back in the... Even now, you might see statues or idols of Zeus, of other gods, or, or the pantheon of gods and goddesses. And what they are doing is they are a visible representation. That statue for the people is a visible representation of an invisible being. They create it and temples to remind themselves, although we don't see Zeus, although we don't see whatever God we have, we are reminded that quote unquote they exist. And when God says that we are made in the image of God, there is power to that. What he is saying is as I create this place called the earth, You are my visible representation for my invisible self in this planet. What that means is that we are co-owners, we are co-heirs, we are co-kings, we are co-queens of this kingdom. And that we are called to follow God's work. That is our work. What that means is this, what is God doing in Genesis? That's the, look, the primary purpose of God creating the universe is found in Genesis. And when you see it, it's to create order in this chaotic world. That every day that passes in creation, more and more order comes. And what God is saying is, that is what your work is. When you are coding, when you're working in healthcare, when you're teaching, when you're manufacturing, whatever you are doing, the essence of that in the biblical framework is, you are bringing God's kingdom to every corner on this earth. Because you are made in the image of God. See, our work is to actively partner. We're a co-owner with God in this world to take it somewhere better. Right? To, to a pastor put it really well to put it this way. Oftentimes, uh, I don't know if you've worked in a cafe, I have, it sucks. Because um, all you do is you're a slave to the customer. And a customer comes and you know they have their own, like I want a venti with this and this, not that I'm mimicking someone, but you know they, they have their own specifications. And each customer is different. And the more you see as a worker, the more pissed off you get often. The best days of working in a cafe is when it's quiet because you can read and do whatever you want. I remember in seminar, when I was working in a cafe, the owner would often come in. And I only worked there two weeks, and I'll explain why. But anyways, as I was working there, right before closing, like all these students would come in and rush in. And every coworker, including myself, would just be like, here we go again. But the owner, the owner was ecstatic because, you know, what he saw was money, so This is money for me, so work harder, right? And there's a difference in that, and it's not just his profit, but it's his business is booming. There's a difference between pride of an owner and, a, and just a coworker being like, oh, this is what I do. And in the same way, what, what God is asking us to, to realize is this, we are not just workers on this planet doing a, a daily nine to five, oh, you know, I just gotta do what I gotta do. No, you're called to be a co-owner, a co-heir of this kingdom to partner with God and to do his work. Your work matters. Now what are you doing? Genesis 1, 28, he says, look, you're made in the image of God and then this is what God tells Adam and Eve to be. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and subdue it. That's that's the main word I wanna focus on first, to subdue the earth. That's the nature of what we're doing in what we call work. It's a gardening term. If you don't know what that means, and I'm not a big gardener for myself, but I Googled what a garden is, and if you didn't know, a garden is an area that a gardener takes to bring order into this chaotic place called the jungle or the forest or just nature. You see, any, any place, anything can grow and it grows and it grows and grows, but you don't know what's healthy, what's not, you don't know what's dangerous or what can kill you. What a garden is, is a gardener to bring order into that chaotic world to produce something that produces fruit to give life to those around them and themselves. That's what we're doing in our work. And that's how honestly you should kind of gauge what is a good job and what isn't. Are you bringing more order into this world? You know, if you're a developer or if you're a coder, you are doing that. When I see code, I see chaos. For some reason through training in math, you see order. And you can bring and produce an app that hopefully in the end brings more order into this world or in, in a more just society. Tim Keller puts it this way, work is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. And I wish this was expounded much more in the church. Your primary calling as a Christian is to do this, to allow people to thrive and flourish with your vocation. Your work is spiritual. All of life is spiritual. Look at Paul and Jesus own vocations. They owe, Paul Apostle Paul as he wrote in the New Testament even Jesus himself, they had their own vocations of bringing order into chaos understand that's your primary calling as a human being that work is important and this is the thing often people will ask in kind of a quick side note how do I do my job well as a Christian do I have to evangelize wherever I'm at right do I have to talk about Jesus Do I have to pray for that person maybe maybe not but uh, Tim Keller put it really well in a seminar I was once at he said a pilot came up to him and asked Pastor, how do I do my job well? Should I get on the intercom before the plane lands and tell everyone about Jesus? Tim responded by saying, your job as a Christian to be a pilot is to land the plane, and that's it. That is your job as a Christian. And what Tim Tim Kell was getting at is to do your job well as a Christian is to do it with excellence to do what God commands us to do with all dignity and excellence that we can, to work hard. Now, as we think about all this, one, one thing I want you to note is this. In Genesis 1, it says, subdue the earth, you know, do your work well. Bring order into chaos. Rearrange what God has given you to allow people to thrive. But he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Often some pastors would say, oh, it's, this is a, a call to procreate, probably. But also on a deeper scale, what God is saying is, as you do this, spread yourself out. Make sure your work is spreading the resources of God around you and not for you. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Spread yourself out. And I want you to mentally picture the biblical framework of a job is a horizontal movement outward to those around you, to allow people around you to thrive. So have that in your mind, because the problem is, as we move into the next point, there is an emptiness of the work that comes with the fall. I want you to make it clear, work itself is not cursed. Work itself is not sinful, it is good, but the problem is the fall brought sin into work, and now work holds us captive. The Tower of Babel, in Genesis 11, we just read, you might have heard Michael read that and be like, how are these two verses connected? Well, I think the way that work holds us captive is the way the Tower of Babel describes how we view work then and now. Genesis eleven three three to four, it'll be up on the screen behind me. Follow along what it says and just remember, remember what God tells Adam in just 10 chapters before. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You are made in my image, don't forget that. Chapter 11, verse three, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So really quick, this is technology being made. This is the first time in Genesis where they're not just using rocks on top of each other to build a building. They're saying, no, no, we can burn rocks. We can burn stuff and make tar and actually create bricks and create a more sturdier building. So they're doing their job well. They're creating technology, but for what purpose? Verse four, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In the Tower of Babel, work no longer becomes a way to bring God's kingdom into every corner on this earth, but an opportunity to build your own vertical kingdom. A kingdom that is not spread horizontally, but that spreads vertically only for your name's sake. God says, I, you are made in my image, so therefore work. In the Tower of Babel, we work to create the image of ourselves and has much changed. This mirrors so much of how our current view of work has held us captive. That work now is not something that we do, it is something that we are. It is tied to our identity. How much we make, what position we get, how far we are, which startup we make, whatever it may be, that is no longer what you do, it's tied to who you are. And this is the thing, really quick, I'm not trying to bash on those that work hard. I hope I made that clear. But there's a distinction between working hard and working for an identity. Just like Babel, we are now held captive to the notion that work must be the centerpiece of one's identity and purpose in life. And that is when everything comes crashing down. That is when work is no longer something that is allowed to bless the world, but something that holds your soul captive. There's an author by the name of Derek Thompson in The Atlantic, he had a great piece right before COVID. It said, workism is making Americans miserable. And the whole thesis of that article was, work is no longer something we do, but has become a religion. As religion has been fading, as, we, as, we, as secular people find try and find meaning in an empty world, what this author realizes is much of what we're trying to do is trying to find what we often found in churches or synagogues or religions, we're not trying to find in our workplaces. And one thing he wrote that I found really helpful is it'll be on the screen, he writes this. In the past century, the American conception of work has shifted from jobs to careers to callings, from necessity to status To meaning In an agrarian or early manufacturing economy, where tens of millions of people perform similar routine tasks, there are no delusions about the higher purpose of, say, planting corn or screwing bolts. It's just a job. But things have changed. Now we maybe not plant corn or screw bolts, but we code our way into a higher salary, we do this or that, and now we say, it's not just a job, it is who I am. And this is the dangerous switch that happens. Because if you realize in Genesis one, work isn't, look, I'm trying to make it clear, work is not bad. I'm not trying to bash on those who work hard. I'm not trying to bash on the tech industry. But in Genesis, you have to realize work in the Garden of Eden was never meant to build your identity, but to live out your given identity. God says, you are made in my image, therefore work. now we have reversed it. We work to somehow make the image of ourselves greater. We're now all trying to build our own Tower of Babel and realize the mental picture, the mental direction of Babel compared to what God calls us to do. Rather than going out horizontally, we focus only on accruing wealth and vocations vertically. We want all for ourselves. And our work is our security for that. When we reverse that order When work is no longer something we do but what we are, what it will ultimately lead to is burnout and exhaustion. Just think about the mental picture of the Tower of Babel, what they're trying to say. They're trying to say, let the top of the Tower of Babel reach the heavens. When is that accomplished? It never is. The Tower of Babel is an unfinished project that will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow until workers die, new ones are born, and they continue to work on that tower. The Tower of Babel itself is a mental picture of what happens when you make work your identity. You work yourself to exhaustion and ultimately death. Your soul is being held captive by work, or what I call workism, of never having enough. Again, if you've been in our church long enough, you'll realize one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about work. One thing it says in chapter two is I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I'd expended in doing it, my work. And behold, all was vanity, or the Hebrew word, and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun." The problem is when you make work your identity, it's something that was never designed to give you an identity. Your your salary was never determined, your, your salary was never put in place to give you meaning. And yet we've made it that. And what happens is when you make something that's not for its purpose in God's design, it's empty. In Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word for heaven, means you're, you're literally trying to grab smoke and it will slip through your hands the minute you think you caught it. Right when you think the Tower of Babel is com- completed, you realize that we have not reached the tops of the heavens yet. Under the pretense of never having enough, we will burn ourselves out to complete exhaustion. Derek Thompson continues in his article, he writes this, the problem with this quote unquote gospel of your dream job is out there so never stop hustling is that it's a blueprint for spiritual and physical exhaustion. Long hours don't make anybody more productive or creative. They make people stressed, tired, and bitter. Work makes a horrible identity and a horrible master because it is never secure. It doesn't care about you. You worship a God with firing power, is unstable. The markets are always unstable, you know that. Check your portfolios, as as, as hurtful as that may be. We live in a time where we know deep down inside, work cannot give what we're asking for, and yet we still put all of our bet on that thing. When you make work your identity, it will exhaust your soul, and not just hold your soul captive, will suck it dry and you've heard me probably talk about this long enough at our church but then what is the solution well paul says in all of any empty deceit of any 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 false thought that holds us captive the answer is finding the fullness in christ and how do we do that well when you look to jesus you realize this jesus also had a job he had three years to save the world three years what did he do I mean, he did it. I mean, we, that's why we're here as a church. But when you, when you look at the Gospels and Jesus' bodily life, his vocation was much greater than ourselves. And yet, he took a lot of rest, man. Disciples would always get pissed at Jesus because he would sleep, he'd eat too much, he'd be with kids. A storm would be happening and he'd be like, Just, I, I need to get my rest, man, my power nap, so don't, don't bother me. It's interesting to me that for Jesus, a man with such a career that hung heavily on his shoulders, the thing that characterized his life was rest and Sabbath. The idea of, see, the idea of Sabbath, you might have heard that frame, uh, the term used a lot. It's like, what's the difference between Sabbath and rest? Sabbath is rest that is rhythmized in your life. Sabbath is rest that you carve out proactively in your life and Jesus, was a man of sabbath and although he needed to save the world no one was going to mess with this sabbath why is that because he understood that if i'm going to become a man to save this place called earth and this thing called humanity i need to realize that as i take the bodily form of a human being that god has designed us as human beings for rest and Sabbath. How do I know this? Just think about Genesis and the, the order of creation. In six days, God works, He grinds, He hustles, He's working OT, getting that pay. And He makes the world, and on the seventh day He says, Then I will rest. When does God create human beings? Think about this. God could have created human beings on day one and said, You know what? You're important, so you're gonna help me out. So for the next five days, you're going to grind too. But God did not. He could have. He should have. You know, that makes good efficient sense, but he doesn't. Why is it that God saves the sixth day for his co-owners, for his most beloved creation, for the part of creation that will help him create even more? Why is it that he waits to the last day to create human beings? So that the first day they enter is the seventh day of Sabbath rest. You are created as human beings to enter your life, not with work, but to enter it into rest. Sabbath, the idea of rest in the Christian framework, it's not about becoming a better worker, it's about reminding yourself of who you are in the chaos of work. Uh, there's a pastor by the name of Rich Viotis. it's not on the screen, but he puts it really beautifully. Sabbath is one of the clearest signs of the gospel. Because you accomplish absolutely nothing and God still chooses to love you. And he chooses to love you to remind you. He created us on the sixth day to remind us, you are made in my image. Rest before you work. And let me get even a little bit deeper if you can follow along. In the Old Testament, there are two passages for Sabbath that are prescribed to us. And both those passages give us the, 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 the clear need for our souls to Sabbath in 2022. So in, there's two books I'm going to read from, Exodus and Deuteronomy. So just really quick, an Old Testament, uh, you know, revisit. Israel comes out of Egypt and they're free. They're free from the slave and the work of Egypt, from Pharaoh, from, from, a, from a God and master that, that said, you need to work to be free. And yet they knew deep down inside that was never true. And yet God frees them. In Exodus, it's the first instance they're free and God says this. Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. On Mount Sinai, as they have just entered freedom, God gives Moses his commandment. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or sojourner who is within your gates. He's basically saying, all of you fools, don't work. For in the six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so Sabbath is to remember God and what he's given us. And yet what Israel does right after they escape Egypt, they say, man, we miss Egypt at least they had good soup back there. You know, Facebook, they give free food. At least, at least we had free food back there, right? And they want to go back to Egypt. God says, man, this is so frustrating, so he sends them into the wilderness for 40 years, they're lost and they're confused, and they come out, In Deuteronomy, they come out of that. And again, God reminds them again of Sabbath, but there's a key distinction, there's a change, and I hope you can kind of gauge it here. Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work for the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your ox, donkey, or any of your livestock. So some fool was working their ox or donkey, so they made it clear, don't do that. Or the sojourner who's within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well. Nothing has changed other than make sure your ox and donkey also don't work. Verse 15 is a key change. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you see the difference, and yet the stark need that both give us? Sabbath and Exodus command us to remember who God is. Sabbath and Deuteronomy is reminded to remember who God isn't. It is not Egypt. To put a better way, A pastor by the name of John Mark Comer writes this, at Sinai in Exodus, the Sabbath is an art form. It's about tapping into the rhythm of creation. In Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. At Sinai, it is a way of saying yes to God and his world. In Deuteronomy, it's a way of saying no to Egypt and its system, joining in God's delight and a warning and staying away from Egypt's way of life. And this is a key part, rest is not an option for a slave. Rest is a byproduct of freedom. When we choose not to Sabbath, the difference between Sabbath and rest is Sabbath is proactive rest. When we choose not to Sabbath, we choose to become slaves again. When you say, "Man, I gotta work overtime. I gotta make sure I put the grind in, hustle, and all those things," that's not necessarily bad. But when that's the key model for your life, hustle till I die, I make sure you just chase that money, whatever it may be. If that is the main model for your life, you know what you are. You are a slave. But the the thing now is, Egypt is now inside of you. It, The greatest trick that we've been played in in the year 2022 in the Western world is that we are now both prisoner and guard at the same time. We exploit ourselves. We are Pharaoh. We are the ones that crack in the whips on our backs. And when we choose not the Sabbath, we return to that. So this is my plea with our church to get rid of being captive by work. It's not to be lazy. I hope that's not the case, and I hope you understand that. It's not to be filled with sloth. It's to find a place for Sabbath. And this is the thing, a 24-hour stop gap of no work. And you know, some people ask, what's the difference between, you know, how, do you, how do you do that well? There's a difference between sloth and Sabbath. Sloth numbs your life, Sabbath gives you life. So for example, you might hear this and be like, oh yeah, I Sabbath all the time. I binge watched Stranger Things two nights ago that was great Sabbath. That's not rest. That's you numbing your soul to a great show. I love, that's a great season, great season so far. But that's not rest. That's numbing yourself out to everything around you. Sabbath is finding activities ultimately with the people around you that give you life. For me, I love golf. So I always tell my wife, I got a Sabbath, right? I got a golf once a week for my soul. For her, it's reading. Like she's, she, she could read the whole, I'm a pastor, I have to read because I'm paid to read. For her, she, she's like, pay, like, I'll pay you to read, right? It's like, okay, that's your Sabbath. But this is the thing, all of you have your own ways to Sabbath, but are you actively, proactively finding space to do that and doing it with God's people? You see, when we gather on a Sunday, and I know it's just for one hour, and this is the thing, I, I, I've been there in the seats listening to preachers much better than myself. And this, I know how easy it is to zone out. Be like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna check Instagram. I, I, I'm gonna be honest, I did that a little bit before. I know how easy it is to do that, but the reason we gather together in an embodied presence is to incorporate, we're resisting together as a congregation saying, this will no longer hold us captive. Work is something that we do. It's not something that we are. And in your own way, find space to do that. Find it with people, find it with your families. But make sure you, Sabbath, proactively finding space, making it a rhythm in your life. And ultimately, the most important thing is finding Sabbath with God. And this is the thing. Everyone rests with God differently. Some of you, you love sermons. Some of you love God's people. Some of you love praying. Some of you love worship. Whatever it is, are you finding space to proactively do that in your week, in your rhythms, and in your life? And let me end with this. When you make what you do who you are, you will do both things horribly. When you make what you do who you are, you will do both things horribly. Because what God says is, I have given you an identity. Sabbath creates the gap between both to allow you to remember that, to both do your work well and to remember who you are, to resist the ways of Egypt, and to say, work no longer holds me captive. I'm using my work to bring God's kingdom into this earth. So I hope, church, as a collective body and individual people that we Sabbath on our own and with God and with God's people, so that we can be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it with God's kingdom. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we gather, I know in the midst of everything going on, I, I know if people are in this room, ultimately it's because they have done their job well. That to live in the Bay Area is often a sign of, of wealth and even privilege of itself, of hard work, of going to the right place, of grinding, and that's something that should be well commended and praised. But as we read in the Old Testament and even as we look around in the world now, we know how easy it is to allow our work to become more than a way to bless the world but to bless only ourselves. Allow us to fight that. Allow us not to build towers of Babel for our own sake. The Lord, allow us to be workers that are rooted in identity, that we're made in the image of God and that we are a church that works in this area called Silicon Valley and that we work hard but that we gather every Sunday to Sabbath together to resist together the temptations of making work the end all be all. So Lord, allow us to to turn our eyes to you, to be reminded that Sabbath is a reminder that we are loved no matter what we do because we have been chosen by you. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.